Support for the Fallon Forum is provided by The Fighting Burrito, located at 117 Welch Avenue in Ames, Iowa. The Fighting Burrito offers a varied menu with vegetarian options as well as the option to build your own burrito. More information can be found at www.fightingburrito.com. That's www.fightingburrito.com. Support provided by Gateway Market. Gateway Market offers a unique selection of local, organic, and eco-friendly items. Get more information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting provided by Hawk Restaurant, located at East 5th and Walnut. Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. More information can be found at hawktable.com. That's hoqtable.com. Hey folks, welcome to the Fallon Forum, broadcasting live from Lorena, 96.5 FM and 1260 AM in Des Moines, Iowa. If you uh, are watching the show on live stream, give us some feedback. We're testing out a new system here. Let us know if it works, and uh, let's, uh, let's just get right into it. We've got a lot to cover today, a lot on climate, a lot on uh, food, a lot on on uh, eminent domain, and uh, the first segment is about, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to call it a, an assault on the free market, if you will. It's, uh, we're, we're addressing a bill before the Iowa legislature, and this, um, I'm interested in knowing if this bill may have some uh, companions in legislatures across the country, but it, um, it attempts to uh, require businesses to carry a certain product. Now, you would be surprised to see that coming from the uh, the uh, champions of the free market, but uh, apparently it is, and it's going to. It would require businesses that uh, tend to focus on uh, cage-free eggs or even uh, free-range eggs to uh, to have to carry eggs that are raised in commercial confinement operations. Interesting idea. We're going to welcome. Uh, 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 we're going to welcome a guest to the program here shortly. Um, yeah, Chris Holbein with the uh, U.S. Uh, the the U.S. Uh, the Humane Society of the U.S. There we go, is joining us on the phone from I believe uh, I believe somewhere on the East Coast. Hello, Chris. Are you with us? Yes. Ed, thank you so much for having me on. And greetings from Maryland. Maryland. There we go. Okay. Well, we've been seeing a we've been seeing a lot of one of your compatriots uh, lately, a, a U.S. congressman from Maryland who I think would like to uh, win the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of them running. We've days. seen a lot of him, yes. So, um, yep. so this bill, uh, I mean, you, you probably the Humane Society, I imagine, has a number of concerns about it. Uh, certainly, your organization has been against the um, efforts to uh, to crack down on 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 more uh, more larger cages and uh, better uh, living conditions for for egg layers and for uh, poultry generally. But, um, you know, this bill has a number of concerns attached to it. Would just give us your feedback on, on it. Absolutely, yeah. And I think you described it really well in the opening. This, this bill is, is awful, and, it, and it's frankly bizarre. Um, so basically what's happening is this lobbyists for the light, large egg corporations that still cage hens want the government to force grocery stores to sell eggs from caged hens, even though the grocery chains and consumers are increasingly demanding a switch to cage-free. They're doing that because cage-free is better uh, for the birds. Uh, in, in caged uh, operations, these birds can't even extend their wings. 
they're, they're locked in these barren metal cages. Uh, they have less space than, uh, than the dimensions of an iPad. And uh, so it's terrible for the birds, but it's also terrible for consumers. When you, when you think about these conditions and these hens packed together, they can't move, they can't exercise, uh, they're, they're packed wing to wing. Salmonella and other bacteria spreads like wildfire. And more than a dozen studies have found that caged uh, operations are more likely to harbor salmonella than cage-free. And that's why, you know, the largest grocery stores across the country, largest fast food restaurants are all saying we're going to switch to cage to 100 percent cage free. The Iowa, certain Iowa legislators at the behest of the large egg corporations are bizarrely trying to to block that and to say that if you sell eggs, you've got to sell some from cage from cage hens. And and it's how, how do they possibly justify this? You know, I mean, you know, it's hard to know. They're they're being very quiet, and for obvious reasons about this, this this legislation is is so is so bizarre um, and and so against the free market that uh, they're trying to rush it through uh, under the cloak of darkness. But that makes it all the more urgent for your listeners to call this week and ask their Iowa legislators to reject these bills. Right. And so currently the bill has passed out of a Senate committee, is it? Yeah, it's, it's moving in, in, a Senate, in a Senate and House subcommittees. Uh, so we still have a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, it, um, for any of your listeners that are interested in calling in, it's House Study Bill 623 and mm. Senate Study Bill 3145. Okay. And, so, uh, trying, trying to understand the motives of the uh, – I mean – are some of the big grocery chains behind this as well? You know, they, they, it's possible that, uh, that one or two of them might be. Um, it would be pretty cowardly for them to per se that they want that they're going to switch to 100% cage free and then try to get quietly get Iowa legislators to pass a bill uh, saying otherwise, so that then they the grocery company could hide behind right. uh, the. The lawmakers. Are you, are, you, are you suggesting that a big business might do something unscrupulous? <laughs> I, I know you and your listeners would never, would never. <laughs> no, we, that. we couldn't imagine uh, that happening. Could imagine that, yeah. But uh, so that would be pretty deceptive, and you know, we're still looking into who's behind this because uh, they're trying to rush it through so quickly and quietly with so little debate. Um, but it, it's pretty brazen and and pretty absurd either way. Yeah. Uh, we're 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 sure that that a lot of it is that the lobbyists for the CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations, and they're concerned that there's so much momentum towards uh, towards more responsible farmers. The Humane Society. We work all the time with farmers across the country who want to do the right thing for animals and for consumers. And uh, the, the large CAFOs are seen as a threat, but this is their most, their strangest and the most anti-free market measure that we've, we've seen to date. Yeah. Well, it indicates that there's some momentum on the uh, other side of the, uh, of the fight. Absolutely. You know, more, yeah. than, more than 200 companies nationwide, as I mentioned earlier, including Costco and Walmart and Dollar Tree, Taco Bell, uh, have all said they're switching cage-free. McDonald's uh, says it's switching to cage-free, and they have said they're not even going to raise their prices a penny. So it's shooting down all the arguments that the cage producers 
like to make. Um, and it's pretty clear the future is cage-free, but uh, it, it's such a shame that lobbyists for the large corporations that still cage hens uh, are trying to push lawmakers to go so against the free market mm. and, and push something on Iowa families that's frankly dangerous uh, yeah. in terms of food safety. Right. Yeah. No. And I, I totally get the uh, the the way the way in which this bill is an, an assault on the free market. Uh, there are some, you know, in farm country. Sometimes the humane society gets a you know gets a negative rap, uh, seen as being you know extreme, like PETA, like like against all animal agriculture. And that's uh, is is that is that a fair you know characterization of your organization? It's not. We work with, with, with hundreds of family farmers across the country. We work, we're a big tent organization, and our goal is to reduce the suffering of farm animals. Okay, it's, 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 not, it's not this vegetarian, uh, it's, it's, it's not like your organization is committed to getting everybody off of meat. We've got, we've got vegetarians on board, we've got hardcore meat eaters, we've got people who raise animals for food. But it's, what we're united on is a mission to mm. reduce the suffering of animals in these factory farms. Right. And that's, I, you know, most people are behind that, I think. My sense is most people, most people believe that's a good goal. So. Yeah. And a lot of the information they put out against the Humane Society, they're trying to divide and conquer. They, they see the momentum that we and responsible farmers are, are, are making, and uh, they're, they're trying to, to, sow, to sow confusion. But we're, we're, we're proud to work with these, with these farmers across the country who are trying to take steps in the right direction and to treat animals better. And we need to hold all, all food producers accountable on this issue, um, both for the sake of animals and for the sake of consumers who are uh, increasingly fed up with, with food that's, that's tainted with dangerous bacteria and they don't yeah. want to serve it to their families. Hello, uh, Chris. You still there with us? I, I am with okay, us. Yeah, good. I yeah. No, I'm not sure. Uh, so, um, yeah. The one one more question before we got to run to a break here. Then is, uh, you know, there are, it's it's hypocrisy among elected officials is not unusual. Sure. And it's sometimes they get away with it. They package that hypocrisy in you know a, a clever box with a pretty wrapping and a bow, and they fool people. But this one seems so transparent. I don't I don't know how they can pull it off. How do you tell a grocery store they've got to carry a certain product? I mean, have we ever done that before with any other product? Uh, I can't think of an example. And it, yeah, you're right. It's appalling. And, and imagine the precedent, you know, of, of telling, you know, certainly, certainly the government has, has a role to play in commerce in stopping the most egregious acts. But in terms of in terms of forcing a grocery store to sell something that consumers and and the grocery stores themselves are increasingly rejecting as unethical, yeah. it's frankly bizarre. I mean, there are stores that that have decided not to sell tobacco, for example, right, you know, or alcohol, or alcohol. And, yeah. Well, and, you know, and here in Iowa, we have we have an example here, and I think there's probably other examples around the country. We have a. Uh, there's a, a Christian-based um, wedding cake business that refused to make a cake for a gay couple's wedding, and the uh, you know the same people who are backing this bill to require a store to carry a certain product defended this particular you know bakery's decision not to make a cake for a couple that it found you know inconsistent with its its religious beliefs. So I mean. 
that hypocrisy is, is is just out there, you know, in a strong way. Yeah, these measures are are, are really indefensible, and uh, we, we're going to have an alert on our our website, humanesociety.org, uh, later on today or tomorrow. But in the meantime, I encourage uh, your listeners to to call right away and, and tell lawmakers that uh, they reject HSB six two three. And SSB 3145. All right, Chris. Well, thanks so much for joining us, folks. Uh, Chris Holbein with the uh, American, the, US, the Humane Society of the U.S. I'll get the order right. All right, we're going to go to our phone here and welcome uh, welcome John Noel to the show. He's with uh, Clean Water Advocates, and he's been tracking the uh, federal legislation. Uh, that bill, the, the federal budget bill, does an awful lot of things, and a lot of it's worth talking about. But we're going to focus today on the... Um, the, uh, what the bill does in terms of extending the um, tax credits for uh, what's called carbon capture and storage. And uh, basically, some people see this as a giveaway to the fossil fuel industry. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Ed. How you doing? Yeah. So, have I characterized that correctly? The carbon capture and storage tax credit being uh, extended, and for a long time it looks like, in the current budget bill. Yeah, I mean, so, so what, what the tax credit does is that it, it increases the money given to companies who capture the carbon and then they sell it for other uses. Um, and this on its face, it was kind of designed and marketed as, as a climate mitigation policy, right? Because we want to, we want to keep carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, but originally it was intended to be sequestered underground permanently um, but kind of the unintended consequence is that the oil industry turned out to be the largest customer of captured carbon. So, <laughs> okay. So the company, the oil companies, got buy the captured carbon and then they inject it underground to produce more oil. Um, and so, in some cases, this leads to a net increase in climate emissions. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's um. From a from from the point of view of somebody concerned about climate change, it's a bad bill, or a bad element of that bill, and uh, yet it seems like some Democrats who have supported it are arguing that it's beneficial, that it's uh, it, it's going to help on climate change. How do you how do you reckon rec- how do you reconcile that? I th- I think because they're looking long term. They think that you need to have this carbon capture technology placed on manufacturing uh, factories to help capture some of that carbon. But they kind of they leapfrog over the fact that the, the details of the credit lead to an increase in oil productions and in some cases an increase in tax credits. Right. Um, so we don't see it. I mean, from a climate hawk perspective, we don't see that as climate mitigation policy. Right. The future is ramping up renewable energy and a winding down of oil and gas emissions, and this policy kind of leads us in the other direction. Yeah, and uh, with scientists saying that uh, climate change well, has long since reached an urgent point, uh, that really uh, the, 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 urgent, the, the urgency might have best been addressed 20 or 30 years ago, but uh, the right. longer we wait, the, the more serious the problem gets, and the... Uh, and the uh, more challenge, the bigger the bigger is the challenge to try to effectively mitigate the problem. And with with that kind of short term emergency scenario, uh, it's 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 puzzling to me that that some politicians can justify a long term approach that again 
may or may not pan out, it sounds like. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, and this, these carbon capture or sequestration policies kind of kick the can to future decades to really make hard decisions about, you know, fossil fuel emissions, right? They're, People in the coming decades will have to deal with CCS, but instead of making decisions now to use cheaper um, and readily available climate mitigation policies, and one of those is the easiest one, uh, is eliminating subsidies to the oil and gas industry. That is baseline, easy 101 climate policy things we should be yeah. doing. Um, and this is, and ba- this, 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 is this is basically an additional or a continuation of a subsidy to the oil industry. It's a tripling of the tax credit to the oil yeah. industry. Yeah. So, it's, so it's going the wrong direction. What would be some of the right policy changes in your mind that would that would effectively reduce the taxpayers' incentives for uh, oil companies and coal and natural yeah. gas? Yeah, so Clean Water Action and some of our allies in D.C. advocated um, against the tax credit that would go to the oil companies, the enhanced oil recovery portion of this tax credit, but we were we're in support of a tax credit for for um, technologies down the line that would help reduce carbon emissions from factories. But we just didn't want to do it in the same vehicle as the one that goes to oil companies, right? We so we need right. to incentivize the good technologies down the line and de-incentivize some of the, the the subsidies to the industry driving the crisis in the first place. Right. Yeah. So. Um, but that's probably not going to happen with this Congress, <laughs> unfortunately, right? Uh, we don't see it at the federal level. I mean, a lot yeah. of a lot of the the innovative, you know, drinking water protection and climate protection policies are being driven at the state and local levels these days. Yeah, maybe maybe even more so at the local level. It seems. Yeah, no, that's that's really yeah. where all change has to come from. So one thing that's of concern to people, uh, you know, in all over the country, and certainly here in Iowa, is the uh, fate of the wind production tax credits and the uh, solar energy tax credits. Any uh, any sense of um, of how this legislation or further deliberations about the budget are going to affect those? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the solar and wind tax credits were included in this budget deal. I don't think they got the long-term extensions that they were looking for, you know, kind of the the multi-decade extensions that kind of make it easier for these companies to plan out their investments. Uh, But they were given uh, some level of extension on those tax credits. And that was kind of, you know, in D.C., it's these high-level negotiations and, you know, everyone has to trade and compromise. And we see, from a climate perspective, we see the trade we made we might not have gotten everything. Uh, we got less for what we gave away in, in, in terms of climate policies. But well, what happened with solar wind is is a net positive, we think. Yeah. Okay. And I know that with with wind, you've got some pretty powerful uh, senators and some Congress uh, Congress members of Congress too who are lobbying for those. And uh, what we're what we are seeing on the ground in Iowa and some other places is a strong pushback by landowners and rural residents against an over-concentration of industrial wind installations uh, in those counties. That's becoming, uh, uh, you know, an unexpected, perhaps, and a very uh, troubling um, conflict that uh, that uh, at some point will need to be addressed as well. And probably, uh, certainly not in this year's uh, budget or probably any other statutory changes, but um, something that is increasingly on our radar screen here. Yeah, yeah, I definitely need to figure out, create conditions where those 
renewable energies can flourish and where the concerns of landowners are addressed, right? We don't want to go down the same path that the oil and gas industry, how they treated community members, right? So if you're yeah. in the renewable energy, you want, you want to make special attention to the communities that you're operating and make sure everyone's being heard there. Yeah, and it just seems that I'm surprised there's not more pushback uh, because of the way that companies like Energy Transfer Partners and others have treated uh, treated landowners, uh, have, have basically flaunted uh, rules and regulations in some cases, uh, you know, lied to people, and still and still seem to be getting consideration uh, in you know favorable in terms of favorable legislation being introduced. One thing we have here in Iowa is a bill that ostensibly addresses. Uh, pipeline sabotage, but when you really look at it, it's, uh, I mean, it, there's already, you're, if you commit arson or vandalism against the pipeline, there's already a serious, that's already a serious offense. So what this bill does is really try to attack attack the issue from, uh, what it's trying to do is attack the First Amendment right, the um, right to protest, to exercise your free speech, um, and also to try to legitimize pipeline infrastructure as part of the public infrastructure network. So, you know, yeah, it's amazing they still get away with this stuff after the way they've treated people. But apparently money talks, and I think there's a lot of money involved in this. Yeah, no, there definitely is, and change is hard, and there's a lot of interests that uh, have a lot of uh, buy-in for the way that things operate now and are afraid kind of uh what's coming yeah one quick uh, one quick remaining question john if uh if uh if people are interested in weighing in on this issue is there something they some action they can or should take so on this particular bill the tax code was finalized uh, but i would stay up to date on um, everything that clean water action does on this and other critical issues um, at clean water action or sorry cleanwater.org Great. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, uh, John. John Noel, folks, with uh, Clean Water Action, uh, joining us to talk about the federal budget and how it affects renewable energy and how it affects the continuation of a special interest tax break that helps the uh, the coal, oil, and natural gas industry. When we come back from a short break, uh, Pam Mackey Taylor with the Iowa chapter of the Sierra Club going to join us to talk about uh, coal ash and how the uh, the um, places that store coal ash are starting to see leakage and the problems associated with that. We'll be back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Support for the Fallon Forum is provided by The Fighting Burrito, located at 117 Welch Avenue in Ames, Iowa. The Fighting Burrito offers a varied menu with vegetarian options as well as the option to build your own burrito. More information can be found at www.fightingburrito.com. That's www.fightingburrito.com. Support provided by Gateway Market. Gateway Market offers a unique selection of local, organic, and eco-friendly items. Get more information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting provided by Greenlight Renewable. Operated by Tim Cruzy. Tim is a master electrician and certified solar installer providing solar installation services anywhere in Iowa. Why let fossils fuel your world when the sun can do it for cheaper? More information can be found at greenlightrenew.com. That's www.greenlightrenew.com. 
Hello, folks. It's Ed Fallon, and welcome back to the Fallon Forum. That's uh, Brother Trucker. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, again, Ed Fallon here with you from the uh, snowy North Country. Uh, we've been getting our share of snow this month, and I'll tell you, I think it's nice. I'm enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I know not everybody is. Some folks are looking forward to spring. Uh, and um, with spring, of course, comes increased activities in our water and uh, there's growing concern about our water, and here's one reason. Uh, coal ash from a um, power plant in Muscatine has been leaking into the uh, local groundwater, and this is causing a lot of concern and, not surprisingly, some dismissal by authorities. With me to uh, analyze this um, piece of news is uh, Pam Mackey-Taylor with the Iowa Sierra Club. Hello, Pam. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, so... um. You're quoted in this story, and uh, you're not particularly happy with what's going on. Uh, it seems like, again, coal ash is um, a bright byproduct of coal production of electricity. And uh, the, the, um, the authorities are saying it's not a big deal. It's not going anywhere. It's not moving. It's not going to get into the groundwater. There's no drinking water nearby. What do you, uh, how do you feel about those responses? Well, first, let's uh, talk about what coal ash is. Coal ash is what remains after coal is burnt. So it's what is in the bottom of the boiler. It's what is, uh, falls off the smokestack, and it is what is uh, captured in various scrubbers and filters. And then once it's uh, collected, it's put into uh, a dump site. This uh, dump site is not aligned with a, uh, a fancy liner, and so at some point the chemicals leach out of the dump and start moving. Ideally, they're caught by uh, collectors before they move into the groundwater. In this case, uh, the collectors are catching all of the leachate, and it's starting to move into groundwater, and some of these chemicals are very nasty. Uh, I was reading reading the list, uh, chloride, sulfates, boron, uh, calcium... And then also um, uh, arsenic, right? <laughs> Didn't I read that somewhere? Yes, and uh, coal ash also contains uh, uh, mercury and other toxins. Now, mercury and some of these other toxins haven't been found in the, the uh, testing wells, but they have found uh, the earlier ones you mentioned, the chlorides and the sulfites and boron. Yes, yeah, so uh, is this because of negligent management or is this inevitable? I believe it's inevitable. These uh, landfills uh, are not lined, and over time, uh, rainwater will uh, collect and uh, breach the uh, walls of the landfill. Also, groundwater can seep into them, and uh, that'll cause uh, the leachate to uh, to move beyond the landfill itself. Is so there I- is there a way to design these so that they are effective at maintaining? those leachates, or is it just always going to happen no matter how good your design? Our organization believes that it's inevitable that all of these landfills will leak. It may be over an extended period of time, but but they leak. So the better solution... Oh. No, go ahead. The better solution is to get off of coal and migrate into wind and solar and, and combine that with extensive amounts of energy efficiency so that we reduce our reliance on coal. Of course, here in Iowa and across the country... Uh, the uh, big power companies and the uh, fossil fuel industry is trying to crack down on energy efficiency. There are bills here before the Iowa legislature that would uh, basically, um, well, eliminate some programs and 
scale back others to, um, to, to you know, a small fraction of what they are today. So, you know, I, I guess it sounds like ideally we'd expect those programs to be maintained and some action to be taken to try to do a better job at managing or eliminating uh, the pollution from, from coal plants. But uh, is there anything, I mean, other than, other than a story in the newspaper and your vigilance, is anything being done to try to address the problem? Well, once they find that uh, the leachate has um, migrated uh, out of a landfill site, there is there will be ongoing monitoring. There may need to be some cleanup done uh, required by EPA so that it doesn't cause further damage. And these things will need to be monitored f- until uh, the coal ash itself is removed or they'll, or, uh, they'll have to be monitored for extended periods of time. So That's, this is uh, going to so- be a... How many sites like this do we have across the country? Do you know? Uh, I think it's over 1,400 sites. Iowa has 23 coal ash sites. Ten of them are active, and 13 of them have been closed and are no longer accepting new coal ash. Okay, uh, so and what are those 13 that have been closed, yet they still contain this, um, this highly toxic material? That's correct. Yeah. And, and they need to be monitored for the life of the, of the material. So maybe it's not as, I mean, for a long time there's been concerns about nuclear power plants. What do you do with the radioactive waste? And we've never come up with a good solution for that. And this may not be as dangerous as nuclear waste, but it sounds like it's pretty toxic to life generally. And, again, 1,400 sites, and even the ones that aren't active, still contain that toxin. And so, I mean, what is is there any discussion about a long term uh, other than getting off coal? Let's assume we get off coal and oil and, and and natural gas right away. Let's assume let's assume we get this done. We still have this toxic waste problem. That's right. Yeah. How how do, I mean what is the how do you address that? Uh, and the only way you can address it is to keep an eye on it uh, and uh, make sure that uh, if it's things start moving that. Uh, there are uh, things put in place to, to block the movement of the chemicals yeah. and to uh, perhaps retop the, the landfill itself with a new clay liner. And, um, but it's going to be a monitoring process forever. Yeah. Now, uh, in Iowa, the authorities are alleging that the, the leachate and the chemicals in, the, in it has not yet seeped into the water. And you would you uh, would you agree that that's the case? Well, anytime you get tests that show that um, the chlorides, the boron, the calcium are in the groundwater, that shows that there's some seepage. Okay, so they're 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 ver- they're verifiably wrong on that. It sounds like I believe that they they are wrong. Obviously, uh, further testing needs to be done, but these are indicator chemicals, and yeah. I think there's a problem. And are there examples around the country where we've had very clear and documented uh, and universally accepted evidence that uh, this sort of leaching has occurred? Um, actually, we've had leaching already in other places in Iowa. Mm. Uh, we've had um, leaching happening in uh, the Lansing Station. Uh, uh, so it would be up in northeast Iowa, we, the George Neal Stations near Sioux City. Prairie Creek, um, which is in Cedar Rapids area in Lynn County. Um, there is the Walter Scott Energy Center in Council Bluffs that's had some leakage. Riverside in Bentendorf, Sutherland in Marshalltown, 
and then the Muscatine landfills. Wow. And I'm I'm surprised that we aren't seeing incidences of increased, you know, public health concerns, uh, a, a, a premature death, or who knows, or cancer, or who knows what. I would think that a lot of those those uh, problems would would come with that kind of leaching. I'm not aware of any studies being done. Um, the, the reason we haven't heard about this uh, is that uh, in 2015, EPA required this study to be re- uh, done and released, uh, so that's why we're hearing about it now. The last big time we heard about this was in 2010 when another big study was uh, completed, and so we hear about it, and then it kind of goes away for a while, and then uh, we hear about it again. Uh, but there are efforts that have to be done every time they find these uh, um, these leaks, and uh, cleanup processes have to happen, mm. and and the landfills need to be shored up. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I really it's a, it's a it's an unfortunate problem, but again, it's not it's it, it should be expected if we want to continue to rely on fossil fuels, or or even just confront the fact that we have relied on them for a long time. These are kind of the side effects that we have to deal with. So I'm glad you're bringing it to our attention, Pam. Thanks so much. Thank you. Folks, we've been talking with Pam Mackey-Taylor with the Iowa chapter of the Sierra Club. All right, so uh, thanks for sticking with us, folks. Um, Lissa Wade in the studio with us, um, a.k.a. the Veggie Thumper. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. And the Veggie Bus. uh, This is... um, a, an element of our cultural and culinary uh, uh, movement here in Des Moines. This uh, this bus made its appearance in the in the uh, Des Moines Metro last year, uh, a long-awaited arrival, and that's uh, imagine imagine it's been enjoying a, a comfortable stay in some warm shed for the winter. Correct? Nope. No. Where has the veggie bus been all these long, cold, snowy winter days? Um, well, he's thirty-five feet from front to nose, so he's been hanging out at Snooky's. They're super at awesome, Snookies. and they let me park there. No ice cream there at this time of the year, but... Yeah, right, but there's um, a big cold bus, but soon it'll be full of warm, tasty snacks. I'm All right. excited. So what's your first gig this spring? Um, well, I would like to do Veg Life, or Veg Life, yeah, like Veg Life is about March 24th, but we're having some Ansel system issues, so once some we get... what? The Ansel system. Ansel. Yeah, well... I don't know what that is. We're still fundraising to get the bus fully loaded, so uh-huh. that way it can roll out every day, and it's not like every time the inspectors come on, I have to wait for them to get out of my way to finish cooking my snacks, and... So, yeah. So, got to get the answer system in, and working on finding numbers that aren't $8,000 for installation. Okay. So, yeah, right? That's what I said. So, I mean, uh, all over the country, uh, food trucks and this sort of thing, it's becoming... They're becoming more common, and, and city laws tend to be more friendly toward them, is my impression. Maybe I'm, maybe there are places where that's not the case. But here in Des Moines, we've seen a, a, a tremendous growth in the number of food trucks. I mean, it's essentially like a restaurant on wheels, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, because you're more, you're more than a truck. You're a bus. Yeah, so I'm kind of held to the same standard as a restaurant, so I have to have the same equipment as them, which part of that I knew. I just didn't realize that installations for certain things were so Grease much. traps? No, I don't have to have a grease trap because okay. the only time I would fry would be fried green tomatoes, and I do that in cast iron pan. But I would still uh-huh. have to have a hood, an Ansel system, an exhaust fan. And I guess they're telling me that Miss Do It Yourself shouldn't do it yourself. Oh, you should not do it yourself? No. Oh. <laughs> right, because that would, that, would, that would eliminate somebody's job, right? Right. Yeah, all right. So um, the, uh, the, 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 are, are there veggie bus equivalents elsewhere in the country where you've got – I mean, again, food trucks are becoming really common. My impression is food trucks all started with the little taquerias that you see 
Well, with this I one, so. there's one either side of the studio that we're broadcasting from, and those have been very popular. Yep. Uh, around for a while, uh, there was a local pushback against them. There were efforts by the city council to try to crack down on them. Of course. And in the end. They were treated fairly, and the whole thing expanded. Now you have food trucks doing, what do we have? We, we have uh, We've got salads, there's french fries, there's acai bowl. Um, there's Mediterranean food. Yep. There's ice cream. There's banh mi, yep, there's ice cream. Uh, what else is there? I don't know, because I don't really eat out a lot. Yeah. Most people don't have yeah. snacks that I want. Right. Well, but, not that I want, but, but, but you, what but I want But your, your thing is unique because you're, it's unique because you're serving... No, it's not vegan. It's vegetarian food, correct? Uh, largely well, vegan? I've been largely vegan now since September when I was forced to do everything vegan for an event. And I was like, okay, cool. We can challenge this. And then I realized, okay, you're good at it. Just rock with it. So I still do honey and stuff. And occasionally I'll have an egg from my flock of chickens. But <laughs> other than that, no, we're good. There's no dairy. So it's a, so it's like a, it's a completely vegan menu. Yeah, uh, almost, actually, the last few completely. times we've rolled out, everything's been vegan. I was nice enough one time to have a bag of cheese, regular yeah. cheese. But what, but, but what is the – and you said people can also sit on the bus. Uh, well, we'll get to that point. Right now, we're not clearing that hurdle at this moment. Is, but that, when, is that also a government logistics nightmare? Oh, it's going to be. Really? Now, what, what are some of the uh, obstacles that uh, that are that are local and state government throw in the way of that? Um, well, the fact is they expect you to have a bathroom, and I guess my camper toilet – does not qualify as a bathroom, which I'm sorry. If you come on a bus, you kind of know, hey, I'm just going to hear it's cutesy. It's for the the ambiance of the fact that I can sit on a bus and eat vegan, organic, locally grown snacks. But then there's the other side of, okay, you have to have a hand-washing station. You have to have this. You have to have that. So it's pretty much, again, just like a restaurant except for okay. it's a bus. So everything needs to be contained within right. – I need 19 feet of cooking space. The rest so, is fair game. So what does it cost to upgrade to the point where you're able to have people sit on the bus and enjoy their meal? Um, probably a bathroom. I feel like we'll get there. It's just showing them what needs to be done first. Yeah. Right now we're – you could borrow the uh, the bold Iowa eco commodes. These, these are these are oh. the uh, <laughs> these are the uh, eco commodes that we pulled for the uh, climate justice unity march, and then um, before that uh, they were pulled. Uh, well, a, a version of them was pulled all the way across the country. Okay, so I was thinking like hitch you, some tree stumps onto the side or some way, and then we can have like <clears> you know tree stump seating around there. Like there's all these weird ideas, but you know sometimes I get. A little carried away. <clears throat> I've never known you to get. I never. I've never known you not to get carried away. <laughs> anyway, so uh, anyway, it's 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 a good thing. It's a, the um in the I guess for a lot of in a lot of times people would be happy just to get their food and go sit somewhere else. But the um. But having that option is nice, and then yeah. seeing how your food's prepared because a lot of people are like, "What do vegans and vegetarians eat?" And, uh, yeah. We eat great. Well, okay, some of us eat great, but I feel like I eat pretty great. I've been playing with a lot of saitan and um, fermenting vegan cheeses, and so there's been, like, fried chicken. I did chicken and waffles the other day, and I was pretty excited about chicken that. Chicken and waffles? Yeah, chicken vegan and waffles. chicken and waffles? Yeah, I've been working on my there should be a log pork roast. No, well, I mean, you guys I mean, get to why, eat why you, animals. Yeah, we well, should get to have our fun. Yeah, but you, you, you don't – but you, you – but there's appropriating the name for 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 an animal product food animal food product. Does, does, well, okay. does it seem a little funny to you? No, because it's conscious it? cuisine, and this is the way I've looked at it. If you don't tell people what they're eating, a lot of people don't question it. They don't question the fact that there's rat poison in certain things, that there's yoga mat stuff in their bread, what, 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 and they'll about eat yoga it. Yoga mat. 
Yes, there were. Bread was it? Subway mat? had um, yoga mat particles. How does your yoga? Same, how does somebody's yoga mat find its way into your bread? Well, because they're using the same chemicals to make a yoga mat that they were using to make bread. Just like titanium dioxide, you'll why, find it in your paint, but be, it's also in your ice cream. Why would you use a chemical to make bread? I don't know. I, I wouldn't eat it. Okay. Once I mean, most okay, things so, but, I find out, but, but, I stop but, but, eating them. But, 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 why, why, what's what's the um. What's the justification in calling something that has no chicken in it chicken and waffles? Because then I get other people who typically wouldn't walk this walk or try something new to try it. If you don't tell them what it is and it looks close but enough they to get being confused. the same. They, they, they're looking for the chicken in there, right? Sometimes. Or but they, once they taste it, yeah. some people are like the pulled pork. Nobody knows. Yeah. Okay, some people know, but most people, if they don't thoroughly look at it, they're like, are you sure there's no meat? I'm positive there's no meat. <laughs> are you sure there's no yoga mat fragments? Right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a new one in a yoga mat fragment. Arbiz, 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 okay. I can't even pronounce it. If you can't say it, then you shouldn't eat it because your kidneys and livers won't have You know, I used to, anyway. I, you know, my, my kids remember this, actually. When um, On occasion, when something was purchased that I really didn't approve of, and usually it involved a a long paragraph of ingredients, Mm -hmm. I would always say, hey, kids, check out what's in this. A monosodium glutamate. Oh, I wonder what that is. Ooh, a yellow three. How about red four? I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they would Blue Lake? They they, they couldn't say, Dad, please shut up often enough. But anyway, um, they remember that. Um, (laughs) All right, so the veggie bus back on the road shortly. As soon as the weather is a little bit better, and as soon as you get this um, ancel system ancel and whatnot, system then it'll be full time. Hopefully by okay. summer we're all the way out. But okay, we're full, on Facebook and Instagram for completely vegan and yoga mat fiber free cooking, uh, organic or and organic. What else is good about it? Uh, locally grown, and it's a learning experience for how you can do better. All right, so yeah, veggie bu- veggie thumper bus off and running soon. And again, mm-hmm. I. I hope uh, other communities around the country are experimenting with similarly um, great ideas. I say that as an omnivore, as a passionate omnivore. But, but anyway, do you like vegan snacks too? I like you. I like most vegans. I've had a few vegan snacks that I go, eh, why? But um, yes, most of what I've had is good stuff. Yeah, and most of it's from you. So thank you. <laughs> hey, folks, uh, if you're listening on our community-owned stations, we'll be back in a few minutes with some additional content. If you're listening on our Local station here in Des Moines, thanks for tuning in to uh, Lorraine at 1260 AM, 96.5 FM. This is Ed Fallon, your host with Lissa Wade, Veggie Thumper, uh, signing off till next week, live at 11 o'clock on Monday. That's my style. Hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us. And, uh, you know, despite the uh, thick cover of snow on the ground in a lot of our country right now, it is about time to start planting. In fact, uh, some of us are already ahead of that game, right? You got much planted yet, yet, Veggie Thumper? Um, Well, I've got my trays all started, and I've got this out for what I need to plant, so at least that part's done. And then my mother is over the science experiments of sweet potatoes that are sitting by the window. So uh, describe these sweet potato science experiments. I think I would probably find some some appeal to them. Well, one of them is just sitting in a jar with water, and then the other one, as it like starts to sprout off, I pull them out, and then I put them in the water. I've read somewhere that after a week it becomes like a water plant, but I don't think sweet potatoes work the same way. So I'm trying to do all my own slips this year, because last year I had a serious lapse in judgment and spent a lot on purple sweet potatoes. Yeah. No, I, I and I've tried making, I've tried planting slips before, too, and it's just, um, for some reason it doesn't work. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You know, they suspending the... Um, Okay, well, I think we're having <laughs> a little little technical issue here, folks, but hopefully this is uh, this is working okay. Um, yeah, for me, the uh, sweet potato suspended in the uh, glass of water doesn't seem to work very well. Really? Yeah, I can't seem to get it to work. I don't know why. 
But maybe I just need to. Why are you buying organic sweet potatoes? Yeah. Yeah. Still not working. Give it enough time. Because yeah. some of mine were right. doing their thing in their basement. And the ones that I was like, oh, you look like you want to grow. Got popped in a jar. But there's uh, there's plenty of else that, uh, that, 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 that we've already got accomplished. Um, uh, well, we got two different types of onions that are up. Leeks mm-hmm. are already up to a couple inches tall. Goodness. And uh, artichokes are already putting out third leaves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've just planted cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. Okay. Yep. So it's time. It's time it to do that. It is so time. It's I'm time. so excited. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Oh, I'm, I'm going to get some artichokes, right? You are going to get some artichokes. Okay, cool. And, and maybe a few listeners who um, want to uh, take a crack at growing an artichoke. Because, you know, I mean, th- we're, not, we're not supposed to do artichokes in northern climes, right? But it's fun. It's fun. And you know what? I mean, I don't know. You know, you're a vegan. But for me, one of the main reasons I like artichokes is I get to eat more butter. Well, there's vegan butter. <laughs> no, but it's not Everything the same. Everything you it can is not have, the same. I can have too. I know, but you call it butter, but it's not the same. Tastes you know? like it. Looks like it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I guess part of it is I, I just, I, I think I was probably an artichoke farmer in a past life, living somewhere in the uh, northern Mediterranean. I can see that. Yeah. But I, I love the, the plant is beautiful. I mean, it's related okay. to the thistle. And a lot of farmers don't like thistles. I don't blame them. I've, I've had fields. Uh, I've had fields that I've had to work before where you could spend hours and hours and hours chopping thistles. Um, I get that, but it's a beautiful plant, and it if it's is. in its right place. And if you let a few of those buds go to seed or go to flower, you get these beautiful purple flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't happen too often because we're so eager to eat the buds. Right. Yeah. I only got like two last year, but I'm over. I overwintered three outside and then I brought one in the greenhouse so kind of the experiment to see how it does mm, okay yeah I, I, I if your experiments with overwintering artichokes uh, uh, had any success at all you've done better than me is we've not uh, we've not been able to make, make that happen that was before 800 feet of snow and never-ending <laughs> polar vortex 800 feet of snow <laughs> and the never-ending polar vortex <laughs> it's cold right? yeah no it's it's my and it, what, what folks don't realize too is this polar vortex I mean it's it you know the temperature naturally gets that cold here but it's been uh, uh, unusually cold because of the uh, La Nina, which again is affected by climate change as well, pushing that big cold front down in the middle of the country. But um, yeah, so you know, it's uh, it's the middle of February, two weeks, and we're into March, mm-hmm. and um, then another two weeks, and we're starting to plant lettuce and spinach and radishes, and radishes, beets. Uh, beets, carrots, and then some of these transplants. I mean, I, I, when do you tend to plant your onions and leeks? Um, earlier than later, because they can do better. So if I do them in, like, April, most of them are okay. So you won't plant them in March, though? No. No? Usually it's too cold in March. You know how I get. <laughs> well, no, but 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 don't don't be thinking of yourself. Think of your plants. It's okay. They'll catch up. <laughs> they'll catch up. Okay. They'll catch up. All right, all right, all right. I mean, I'll be out there working the soil, for sure. Well, providing it's dry. That's, a, that's actually a big, right. a, a very frequent mistake that I've made and other people make is it seems dry enough. Partly what you're feeling is your enthusiasm to get out there, but you really need to just chill a bit and make sure it's really dry or you're going to clump it and mm-hmm. nail the, destroy the tilt and your plants won't be happy at all. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so we, um, you know, I, you have a greenhouse. You're very special, and I'm a little jealous, but I'll get over it. Okay. But we have, um, we have a basement set up with about 10 grow lights. It mm-hmm. works pretty well. And then places for germinating the plants. Uh, we have a, a heat map. But also, you know, I, mean, I just didn't feel like buying a lot of heat mats. I don't want to spend a lot of money on this stuff. 
That just kind of defeats part of the purpose. No. But um, there are places in the house, like in the on the shelf in the bathroom, mm-hmm. where the heat settles up there. Perfect for germinating yep. stuff. Or there's also a spot of, on top of the uh, the ductwork from the furnace. Perfect spot for germinating stuff. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But you have your greenhouse. Yeah. Well, I started ahead, out r- in the Rub that in a bit. I w- used to be in the basement. There was a silly <laughs> hot tub and it broke, so something had to go. Right? So the hot tub. Went. Went. Where? Yes. Uh, away on a trailer. On a trailer. And <laughs> to, I was sitting in a To a better place. <laughs> it was super fun. <laughs> you were sitting where? Well, we... I. Took it down with a sledgehammer, the house that had been over it. And then the hot tub went in the back of my friend's truck on a trailer, and I got to ride down the street in a hot tub. I hope you have video of that. No. At least a photo? No. Well, right? a, vi- a, vi- a vivid memory. A, a vivid memory. Yeah. Very. It was super Because you probably, you're probably in a very small universe of people who have ridden in a hot tub. Yes, while the neighbors were laughing. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. was, it, was it filled with water? At the uh, no, because no. it broke, and oh, all the water oh, yeah, leaked duh. out, and I was upset. Okay. The right, 400 gallons worth of water went yeah. to waste. Yeah. Well, that, remi- that reminds you a little bit of a business here in the East Village, uh, American Plumbing Society or Amer- American Plumbing Incorporated, perhaps. Uh, the owner um, was photographed uh, in an article in the paper a few years ago in the window display in which there was a bathtub. So he's sitting in the bathtub. I've always wanted to get in that tub. <laughs> well, you should. I'll bet he'd let you do it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if, it's, if you're thinking about a garden this spring, Despite the fact that there may be a foot or more of snow on the ground, not 800 feet, as some would exaggerate, uh, get out, you know, get into your basement and start doing that. And I, you know, I, am a big fan of Seed Savers Exchange. Um, there are other companies, Botanical Interest. Uh, sometimes you can find these seeds for sale in, in local markets. Um, swaps. Swaps. Yeah, I mean, swapping is great. I don't know, but you know, that's something we probably ought to create a page. I think there was uh, some library catalog that got started. Yeah. Was it Johnston? Yeah. There's somebody who started a, a library egg. catalog, though, for yeah. specific swapping, and there's a meat. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Anyway, folks, now is the time to start planting your seeds. Whoop, do it, do it. Do, do it, it, do it. Grow your own. Do it before Veggie Thumber comes after you with remnants of a of a hot tub. And you have extra land? Hmm, let me borrow it. <laughs> You're right. If you have extra land, call her. All right, folks, uh, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Uh, always a technical wonderland here. Uh, we continue to get better, but there's, yeah, there's always a snag. Anyway, um, I want to talk very briefly about the so-called sabotage bill before the Iowa legislature. It's uh, referred to as um, a, a bill dealing with critical infrastructure sabotage. But if you read it carefully, it's got, you know, I mean, no... Yes, there are people who um, are okay with destruction of property, and that's what this bill is ostensibly trying to uh, trying to get at. Because again, most people don't support uh, burning equipment um, or um, or disabling a bulldozer, for example, or uh, vandalizing a valve along a pipeline route. Most people don't support that. So lawmakers know this, so they're trying to use that as the justification for this bill, the critical infrastructure sabotage bill. But it's not about that because that's already a crime, a serious crime. You, you can't do that now without expecting a, you know, a major retribution. I mean, the guy who burned the historic church in Stewart, who committed a, an act of arson against you know, a, a pretty important landmark, got 25 years. That's what the bill calls for, 25 years. So 
That's not the reason for this bill. The reason for the bill, and it's always important to kind of understand motive and to read between the lines and to look a little deeper. And the, the real, the, the deep reasons are two. One, the way the bill's written, it could it could easily be used to crack down on nonviolent peaceful protest uh, that is not involved destruction of property, because it talks about uh, applying this penalty to anybody who interrupts service or impairs service and. Again, remember that Dakota Access wanted to originally flow oil through this pipeline in the fall of 2016 and never actually started running oil until June of 2017. And that's because, uh, well, they're, they're, well, they made their own mistakes, uh, and I can tell you about some of those sometime, but it's definitely partly because of the um, opposition, because of farmers, landowners, environmentalists, native communities who were opposing the bill opposing the uh, the the, uh, the uh, pipeline, and so they could argue. The company could argue that well, you know, you impaired our ability to start on time. You 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 interrupted what should have been service that started back in the fall. So this could be used for that. The other thing that could happen is that it could be used to uh, justify this as critical infrastructure, uh, a public infrastructure, because that's what um, I mean. We all agree that water lines, roads, sewer lines, uh, fiber optic networks, uh, various uh, you know gas lines, that those are all public infrastructure that has some critical necessity to it. You know, if you um, if you suddenly can't uh, if you if you if your power breaks down, and you can't um, and you and, and you run a hospital and suddenly all the equipment keeping people alive is not working, that's critical. You know. The, the, there's a big difference between that and a pipeline running oil across our state to refineries in Texas. So they hope to change that. They, they want to, they know that's their Achilles heel. They know that they've been accused of not being a true public, uh, public necessity. And they know also that there's a lawsuit that's addressing that. And so they want to change that. So they want to be codified as being a public necessity. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of being straightforward. If you have, if you have a, thing you want to accomplish, do it. Go right at it. Don't try to do an end run around it by appealing to some emotional issue, in this case, the public's opposition to arson and, uh, and, and vandalism. Just come right at it. They aren't doing that, and that needs to be, that means, that needs to be challenged. That's my style. Howdy do me. Just watch me smile. Fare thee well me. I got a role. Support for the Fallon Forum is provided by The Fighting Burrito, located at 117 Welch Avenue in Ames, Iowa. The Fighting Burrito offers a varied menu with vegetarian options as well as the option to build your own burrito. More information can be found at www.fightingburrito.com. That's www.fightingburrito.com. Support provided by Gateway Market. Gateway Market offers a unique selection of local, organic, and eco-friendly items. Get more information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting provided by Bold Iowa, protecting landowners against the abuse of eminent domain and working for clean energy solutions. Details can be found on Facebook at Bold Iowa.